Alrighty, everyone, welcome back. This is Tavis Killian with Rare Petrol, bringing you another episode of Monday Madness on March 21st, 2022. I've only been back in Colorado for a week now, and I've already seen two separate snows, one of which is going on right now. I forgot how quickly the weather could change here, and I gotta say, I missed it. It's nice to be back in a place that has four seasons, and even nicer to know that I may have dodged the Bakersfield summer, which I've only heard described as miserable. Even so, I shouldn't celebrate too early, as you never know what opportunities will present themselves. But you didn't come here to listen to me rag on Bakersfield. There's enough people in California who can do that for you. You came to hear the biggest statistics in the world of oil and gas, along with some of the most controversial or even just largest news stories, so let's get down to it. Commodity prices looked like they were finally settling down last week, but we may have hopped out of the frying pan and into the fire. Last week finished off with WTI prices being in the neighborhood of $105, but today they have already pushed back up to $110. I'm not exactly sure what brought WTI prices back down so low, considering the conflict between Russia and Ukraine continues, but those sub $100 prices didn't last long. The spread between WTI and Brent is narrowed to about $5 again, so I am excited to see how that relationship develops around the conflict. Natural gas saw a little 30 cent bump last week, but it now seems to be pretty stagnant in the neighborhood of 4800. I still believe both of these commodities are undervalued as the past 2 years of inventory trends have pointed in the downward direction, but hey, I'm getting ahead of myself. We've got to look at the rig count next. We've seen some double-digit change in recent weeks, but that ends here. Maybe not forever, but it does look like some of the folks who were eager to begin capitalizing on supply issues last week are not here this week, as there was no change to the rig count. It remains at 663 rigs, which is 252 more rigs than we had this time last year. Basin by basin, we also have very little change. The Ardmer, Woodford, and Haynesville added a rig to each of their totals. The Eagleford and Williston kept that balanced out as they each lost a rig. State by state isn't much different, also very quiet. Louisiana was the only state to add rigs with two. Then New Mexico, North Dakota, and Pennsylvania were responsible for three rigs lost. The offshore total is back up a rig, bringing them to a total of 12. The new rigs do seem to be focusing on gas and will be drilling directionally. Rather underwhelming report given the times we live in, but hey, it makes sense. You don't want to play your hand too early because drilling new wells requires commitment and time, especially with steel and labor shortages. If everyone hops on the train right now and prices collapse, then there are bound to be lots of awkward meetings with the investors that had to be convinced to loan them the money right now. Lastly for statistics is the inventory report. As always, these are better enjoyed on the Rare Petro website with graphics to better highlight what I'm trying to explain. Here's the quick and dirty of what you may have missed. The EIA predicted a small draw of 1.375 million barrels, which sounded totally reasonable given the impending supply shortage. Unfortunately, they were quite incorrect as the actual build was just shy of 4.5 million barrels. The API originally predicted a slightly larger drawdown. They too went the wrong way as they reported a build but slightly smaller than the EIA at 3.25 million. The most likely reason we saw a surprise build in inventories is probably due to recent Chinese lockdowns. COVID cases have been surging there, but folks are complaining about the lockdown, so it will be interesting to see what the government does in response. Either way, lockdowns lead to a decrease in demand for energy and goods, so oil is likely trading at a discount right now. 
Russia is expected to lose 3 million barrels per day capacity in the near future, which correlates to roughly 3% of world demand. 3% short on demand every day is certain to have an impact on the markets. Gasoline is exactly where it should be right now, but is anticipated that it will be much lower come summertime. I'm talking about that historical five-year range. I don't think the price is where it should be, but this is pretty normal inventories given the times. This past week's drawdowns was 3.6 million barrels of gasoline supplies, which is one of the largest drawdowns we've seen in months, so expect those prices to go higher. Gas prices saw a temporary relief last weekend. Hell, I was driving back from California and gassed up in Grand Junction. I went inside to grab a quick snack, and the lady at the register said, Good news, gas just fell 10 cents. It would have only saved me $1.20, but it still blew my mind how quickly these prices can change. Unfortunately, that decrease was short-lived as gas prices are now back up and looking to compete with all-time highs from 2008. The cheapest possible regular-grade gasoline is $3,796 in Kansas, while the most expensive is $5,785 in California. Distillates are fighting for their life as they try to pull back into a historically normal range. Strangely enough, propane is the bad boy of the two this week as it falls even further away from historically normal ranges. Keep an eye on the larger time frames because it is entirely possible, and maybe even likely, that these commodities will be in short supply. Energy used to be cheap. Now the general public is dealing with the consequences of limiting domestic production. How much more expensive will energy have to become until we begin to develop domestic resources? Well, there's already plenty of talk around the world looking to deal with energy shortages as we are now almost a month deep into the Russian invasion. This is what today's stories will mostly be focusing on. We will start in the east with Germany and work our way back home. Right now, Germany is struggling with weaning itself off of Russian energy. As it stands, Germany is the biggest natural gas consumer in Europe and the seventh largest in the world. But they are almost entirely dependent on Russia for that energy. Ever heard of the Nord Stream? I'm talking about that first pipeline that delivers loads of energy to Europe through Germany and that second expansion, the Nord Stream 2, which allowed Russia even more capacity. Pair massive energy capacity with energy dependence and you get geopolitical leverage. Russia knows that Germany and much of Europe needs its supplies, especially during the energy crisis that's been ongoing for months now. Germany's solution has been to pivot to Qatar for LNG deliveries. Qatar has been investing in conventional energy and decided last year to expand its LNG infrastructure through 2025. This looks to be a decision that will pay for itself sooner rather than later. Imagine that, investing in conventional energy despite the energy transition and still making some money. Germany has strong goals to become mostly renewable as soon as possible, but has also just announced plans to build two LNG import terminals. Natural gas is going to play a huge part in the energy transition. Agencies like the EIA have known this for a long time, and an energy shortage seems to be waking some people up from their well-meaning yet delusional dreams. Next up on the chopping block is the UK, who will be scheduling the first oil and gas licensing round in two years. This is especially interesting when you consider the fact that the UK was very close to banning new permits in the North Sea only a few months ago. They were looking to immediately pause all licensing and ban all permits from 2040 onward. And as you may have guessed, the energy shortage has caused them to change their minds. Boris Johnson did make a recent trip to the Middle East to visit leaders from Saudi Arabia and the UAE, but rumor has it that the hosts were not interested in sharing their supplies. Imagine that. Your country and others demonize conventional energy, and no one wants to help you when you need it. 
Obviously, the relationships are much more complicated than that, but the Middle East has also ignored the U.S.'s calls to produce more, whether or not they actually have the capability. Still, the U.K. is maintaining its goal of an energy transition, and this week the oil and gas authority will be renamed to the North Sea Transition Authority, while the government drafts what they are calling climate compatibility checkpoints. Interestingly enough, they have recently revised the checkpoints to include stipulations that allow regulators to overlook environmental considerations if there are national security concerns. The cracks in the energy transition are starting to show, and it looks like we will be using more natural gas than initially anticipated. Energy dependence is sure to become a hot topic of the decade, as these past six months have been terrible for energy and its users, and the pandemic certainly did us no favors. Throw the Russian invasion into the mix, and these shortages are really hurting. People are realizing that it's much easier to say you care about the minimizing environmental impact or whatever other metrics you might use, but it's much, much harder to put your money where your mouth is when the bills start to go up. In that same idea, I'd like to quickly mention Engine Number 1, the activist investor group who took on ExxonMobil to try and implement better strategies for the energy transition. Basically, it claimed Exxon, a company who has historically made money producing energy, had an outdated business model, and the focus of fossil fuels threatened future returns. If you'd like to learn more, you can search for it on our website, www.rarepetro.com, as I've talked about this group before. It was a crazy investing proxy war, and they won three seats and are looking to implement a whole bunch of change. But still, it turns out they are not immune to the greed that comes with higher energy prices. The founder of the firm, Christopher James, firm being engine number one, has shifted his tune from sequestration to limitless American oil production with a side objective of lowering emissions. As he says, quote, The realization that dependence on oil threatens not only the environment, but geopolitical stability should spur businesses and consumers to consider the full spectrum of energy sources without ideological bias, end quote. While that seems counterintuitive, it is just more evidence that oil and gas serve a purpose and will always have a role in our energy systems and world. What do you think, dear listener? Is this spike in energy prices forcing people to look at our energy sources more critically? Go ahead and share your opinions with us by emailing podcast at rarepetro.com and we will feature them, those opinions, on the next episode of Monday Madness. Be sure to follow this podcast as Basin Breakdown will be out very soon and another segment will be teased and tested in the near future. I'm really excited about it, so you don't want to miss out. Other than that, thank you for taking the time to tune into this episode and until we see you next time, take care, everybody.